Uh, this is the Kilt and the Cloth with our Tuesday morning Bible study as we continue working on the short, small books of the New Testament. We are in the book of Titus today, chapter 2, verse 11. Last week we uh, uh, started Titus, had this really great discussion about it, um, that it's a, it's a little bit of a unique book in the sense that of the his, historicity of it, where it came from, um, we, we tend to say that it was uh, later. It Well, we don't exactly know when it was written. That's right. I, I'm just having to refresh my memory. Um, it, it's it's considered part of the pastorals that um, it talks about his passage through Crete, which uh, Crete is only mentioned once in the New Testament. But and this is where Paul does that. Uh, so there are two factors about it that are important historically. If Paul did write the letter, then it should be dated in the 60s after his Roman imprisonment, like we find in Acts chapter 27. If he did not, uh, which most people believe, it would have been found uh, based off of Acts 20, where uh, Paul does not expect to come back to the East after Roman imprisonment. So there's there's still kind of this idea that he's writing to Titus uh this this servant person who he he's very appreciative of for their work um wants them to be careful about um false teachings especially from outside sources and then he he really gets on to them a, a little bit about uh the fact that there's really always rebellious people that, that there's there's always going to be them and um we, we need to be careful of how we uh, articulate that. That was kind of a, a really big deal. And so how does he say, how do we combat that? Well, you teach sound truth. I don't like to use the word doctrine. So because I'm a Christian church disciples of Christ pastor. So we, we don't, we don't just focus in on doctrine. That's other faith traditions. So uh, a lot of your commentaries will say in that section in chapter two, teach sound doctrine. Um, but doctrine, if we but just it says in here is what is suitable to healthy, ah, which would work out really well. I will use that one much, much more. Um, the if we go with the word, this idea of tradition might make more sense for this conversation. That tradition, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, the uh, I, I don't have the 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 movement that he did. Yeah, the dance. He was so much better at it than I am. Um, I almost rabbit trailed. Sorry. Uh, so my my I love that musical so much. The tradition allows themselves in the first century to create. I'm trying to figure out how I want to say this. Jewish culture has a tradition about following Torah-based laws. That's doctrine. That, that law says this is how you will live your life. How you will live your life. There's no questions about it. There's, it's, not a, it's not a question like, oh, I, I don't have to do it this week. No, it's this is how you will live your life. The the other part of this is there's the tradition like 
even though the law says this, it's something that we have always done, but it's not something that is required of us to do. So in the Jewish faith, for example, there's going to be a mezuzah above the door that, that, that you, you bless as you walk in the door. And as you walk into the house, you, you stop forgetting why you've done it because it's just a part of second nature. Even though the law says you're supposed to do these things, you just do it because you always have. For us in the Christian church, disciples of Christ, one thing that we've always struggled with is the Lord's Prayer. If you're a notebook but the Bible church, uh, that's great. The, the Lord's Prayer is a, a part of the Bible. But we're also a no creed but Christ church. So we don't like to say creeds. But we use the Lord's Prayer as a creed every Sunday, whether we want to admit it or not. It's something that we say, something that we believe. It's it's the prayer that we go to to start off with. So when Paul's writing this to Titus, he's establishing a new type of, that's where I was wanting to go, a new type of way of looking at tradition, which is why this last part of Titus really needs to be on its own. Like it's how do we worship Jesus and God at the same time? How do we talk about grace? Um, th this is a new word for them. How does one receive grace? And then what do you do with it? Like this, for us, you, you've had two, you know, two millennia to talk about and discuss it. And lots of traditions and doctrines that have created the process for you. In this letter, Titus and Paul have not figured out exactly how to do that. But Paul is making a theological statement. Now, here's the part I wanted to, to kind of go into our discussion today. Theology always gets a bad name. Like theology is this is this thing that's like, well, my theology is this and my theology is that. Even in the academic world, theology is an idea that can or cannot necessarily bear fruit. It's it's not a bad thing. It's a theory. And I, I always I always worry about using the word theory because there's for some it's like a well, it might not be true. Well, that's right. It's it it is a theory. A theology is this. This is study, how I study of. a study of. It's a this is where I came to understand, and I can read into the Bible as hard as I want to prove my idea, but recognize that while I'm doing this study and pursuit of this idea someone else is doing a study that completely contradicts what I'm doing right at the moment. In this part that Paul's writing to Titus, there are not, there are a lot of conflicting ideas about what Christ is and how Christ operates within the nature of God. One thing that we pointed out last week, and I will continue to point out is recognize language like Holy Spirit. Where does it appear? Does it appear? Remember, the idea of a Trinitarian God doesn't come till much, much later. So there, there's this, how does this work within my understanding of who Jesus is? It's a really good way to, to have discussions with somebody who's young in the faith. This always is very difficult for everybody. Oh, it's a nightmare. We're talking about their time frame. Because you have other religions, even Jewish religions, and might get to that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Right. That, that for them to get grace, they already had. I mean, if you're Jewish, I mean, yeah, you're you're already everything that the other people are trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is, is they would have had a tough crowd. Yeah, yeah. This is and this is rough. I mean, this is Robert. I I would even say that it's it's still just as tough today as it was back then. Like, I mean, how do we explain grace? Well, ultimately, the Jews didn't accept Jesus as right. But I'm saying in this time period, their whole world's been turned upside down. Maybe he is. Yeah, they're, they're going to make him. Make him they are going to acknowledge him as a prophet somewhere, sometime. Yeah. But right now, I argue they don't know what to do with him. And, uh, and, I, and I think the mass is trying to figure out, now, now what? This is good. Well, let's start. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. See? Boom. There's your, there's your, your declarative theological statement. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. Now, understand, uh, salvation to them and salvation to us also have different meanings. Okay? Salvation could be spiritual. It could also be uh, physical. Salvation means God has come, and so therefore we are getting ready to be free from our bondage as slaves. You see my point? So we have to be really careful how when we read that part. However, I would argue that it is a spiritual one because he says right next to it, in verse 12, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly. While we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's your apocalyptic literature there there's the there's the moment of jesus is going to come back any second all in, yeah literally all in one sentence uh, my editor would say what, what a great run-on sentence but uh it's perfect um he it is he it is who give who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself of people of his own who are zealous because that's the word there yep zealous for uh good deeds declare these things exhort and reprove with all authority and let no one look down on you so here here we've got this total thing where christian credibility again is the motivation and, and that salvation becomes something that uh is for the present age and the age to come um now in verse 14 my commentary points out that the word redemption or redeem is it it should be redeemed that's that's a slave term is it? So that would be like if I'm paying to free someone. Oh, okay. Like, like you're doing like ransom. Yeah, yeah, like a ransom. 
because that comes closer to the translation, I think. But uh, what does my thing say? It says means literally to pay the cost for a prisoner's release or captive's freedom. On purify, it says see Ezekiel. Well, that's great. Hey, could everybody hear me? We can hear you. Um, I remember hearing one time someone told me a story about, maybe I'm too young about this, but there's something called green stamps once upon a time <laughs> where people would collect green stamps and where you would go to uh, spend your green stamps, they had little stores and they called them redemption centers. So redemption was sort of like spending, like you just said, uh, in exchange that's uh that's crazy i hadn't thought about that and you know and sometimes we do that even today it's it's interesting like you can you can see where the church has adopted words and it still it still means the same but it has a different thing like redemption you hear this in a lot of faith traditions specifically that god has given us the redemption through jesus christ and then they go through that whole thing right the, that Jesus has redeemed us of our sins, uh, usually, but I'm, I'm rabbit trailing. In the first century, redemption did not have the same meaning. Like it was, it was a, like it was exactly like Ted said. So, yes, and and that's and that's a perfect example of a a Christian perspective of the word redemption. And so the, the paid it all, uh, this is a, uh, it's funny you should bring that one up, Pam. I, they I were called S and H green stamps. S and H green stamps. That's right. <laughs> he looked it up, didn't he? Yep. Uh, Nobody in this room had looked that up except me and Josh. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, the, um, I'm trying to think of how I want to say so that hymn, Jesus paid it all. The, the, the author of that hymn specifically was focused in on um, this, uh, this theology of Jesus paying for our sins um, with his death. So we, we, in the academic circles, you, you call this like blood theology. Um, and, and so I, I love, I love the hymn and I think it works perfectly for what you're saying. Like, and I think in, in a modern, a postmodern view of redemption, I think that hymn is the best example of that language. Does that make sense? In the first century, it had a different connotation, but it's like I, I talk about all the time in the sense that hymns, words change over time. It doesn't necessarily make it less effective. It just, it, it, it changes because the con the congregation has changed. If you're still seeing this, the hymns that we call our oldie goldies, they were written, some of them in the 16 and 1700s. Most of you would not want to read the hymns that were written in the 16 and 1700s. Um, but the melody is the same. We've just changed some of the words um, to to match the congregation. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But that word that word redemption is I'm like a 
trying to stay on it, but I need to get off of it is a perfect example of that. This is this is a perfect example. And Titus gives it to us. Sort of like nursery rhymes. Yes, nursery rhymes. Yes. Yeah. Super dark. But oh my goodness, we love singing it, you know. Um uh, and I think a Grimm's uh, fairy tales or Aesop's fables, you know, I mean, like all of these have a, a different different connotation than what we do today. But we don't understand. That's right. But we've 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 adopted them into our culture and we've modified the definition and they become socially acceptable to us today. And it happens every day because new words pop up and it's like why are you saying this word? Why don't you just use the word that yes. just changed? Um, the commission on things is not in the No. Um, I know that Kelly our curriculum changed like a Miss Frazier when she teaches uh, some of those songs were taken out of our our curriculums and we weren't allowed to teach them anymore um, especially for elementary school um, it's funny you said the ring around the rosy one like that was that was like one of the standards I remember when I was student teaching I'd use that song and um now we we don't we don't get to use that one anymore and they're like well, why well because of what it means um you're like yeah but nobody knows that and we've all grown up with it um i am belaboring one word and i if unless you all need to keep talking about it we can keep going i'm a little fixating on stuff today and i don't know why um Mm -hmm. it's an interesting I, I like that translation it's a it's a good example of how we've adopted that word yeah i dig it um so let's go to chapter three remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show every courtesy to everyone. So we're going to just pause right there. Okay, so we just got done talking about Jesus is coming back. And then he said right before the verse 15, uh, and purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. They knew what zealots were. Like zealot was a group of people that were aggressively seeking out to do things um and he automatically says however <laughs> yeah you should say however remind them to be subject to rulers and to authorities to be obedient to be ready for every good work to be ready for good work versus let's be aggressive about it the watching the uh prepared um 
Then he says in verse three, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, notice the language, God, our Savior. How do we usually say that? Jesus, our Savior. God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of any works of his righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water. I'm not sure. The that's washing, right? The through the washing of rebirth and renewal. Mine says word is neutral, neutral. But it says washing. Okay. This is I'm gonna stop. I'll, I'll just keep going. Through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So now we've changed our theology. <laughs> God, God, our Savior, but now we've received Jesus, who has washed us clean, right? So this is that language, rebirth, renewal, and uh, by the Holy Spirit. Now, now we've got a Holy Spirit with a function. So Jesus does this by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's where it gets cool. This Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, this is why Titus is recognized, by justified by his grace, we might become uh, it says, heirs uh, according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is sure. Okay, so just pause right there. So now, in, in less than three sentences, he has changed the whole theology of the letter. God is our Savior, but now we've got Jesus, who becomes our Savior. And then because of Jesus, now we've received a Holy Spirit that our Holy Spirit now does other things. Okay, Paul's, uh, this is my take on Paul. Maybe I'll come back because of the phrase that you said, but uh, Paul sees God as the Savior. God did not present himself as the king of glory, but he came in Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus did not stay, so he said, I'll do the same. Yes. Why? The, the, the not, the, God not appearing to you, that, that's when you go back. Yes, you die. Yeah. Yes, that's God. So God wanted to interact with him, so he made himself to him. Yep. And then he only wanted to stay a short time, and so he left the spirit for ministry. Very good answer. Now, there's still... There's the question. And why why, why violently? And I'm, I'm just talking about the context. He didn't, in this era, he didn't call him the Son of God. Did not call him the Son of God. Thank you for catching that. But he gave a piece of himself. That's what Pam used. I like I liked the way she said that. So I'm not disagreeing. I'm just... By right, what's written here, mm -hmm. like you said, three sentences without the Trinity. Right off the bat, without Son language, God, Jesus, Spirit. All three are separate, but one. So all at one time. Either you know, or he's just not going there. 
at this moment. Yeah, I think he's. I I I I think Pam is right on to something. What what other what are other reasons that he wouldn't do that? Could be because definitely Caesar got himself, you know, God of the earth. Sure. I'm not saying this is it, but just reading those three, when you going back over, it sounded very Greek. God okay. could come down and play with humans, but he can't. I mean, well, this is this is good. Yeah, you could definitely go that route very easily. I mean, it's something to go. Sure. Uh, familiarity is a huge portion of this. Anybody else want to take a guess? This is the argument that everybody makes all the time with me. It's his embedded theology. He's Jewish. He can't change that idea. Can't if, change. He can't change who God is. God cannot be three things. Uh, cannot be three gods. That's what Greeks and Romans do. Here's here's. Let me give you, give you an example. <clears throat> You got Zeus, right? He has a kid on Earth. You remember? His, well, he has several kids on Earth, but Hercules. Hercules has all of this power. He does miraculous things. He does, you know, crazy feats of strength and just saves people and defeats monsters and all this stuff, right? And then he dies. And then the the legend is is that he dies and he goes to Mount Olympus to be with the rest of the gods, plural. Paul doesn't believe that in any way, shape, or form. It's not a part of his being. So God can't do that. That's why he doesn't use the language of son. Pam is right on the edge of it. I, I think if I kept pushing, he'd be like, because he's Jewish. But he's a he, he, Jesus can't be separate from God. He has to be of God. God. Yes. Yeah, you did. And I was like, you were right on the tip. So it's like, because there's only one God in his mind. So God has to give of God's self on earth. And he has to die. He, he has to. Why? Because if he's going to do it like a human, he's got to die. He's got to give up his earthly body. God would be, yes. No, no, no. This is, this is. This theology that he's making up here is deep. This is why I said we had to we had to discuss this by itself. So Paul is discussing this idea that God is so pure, perfect, and pure that even humans can't even come in the midst of it. So if, if God gives up himself to earth, and then God, as Pam just eloquently put it, said that, and then God leaves a, still leaves an essence of God's self on earth, which we call the Holy Spirit. So that God never really truly ever abandons us. Because in the Jewish Bible or the Tanakh, God, we've said this several times, is that there's a there's a there's a moment where we feel like God left and never came back. And the Jews walk around in the wilderness forever and they're like, Where are you, O God? Where are you? The New Testament, Paul, as a Pharisee, says, oh, God isn't going to leave us alone. And God leaves us the Holy Spirit to continue to guide us. 
plenty of Catholic weddings take a picture. And I guess for the girls to see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a it's a good language. Yeah. The Holy Ghost is definitely King James. We have a little the Bible prayers between my in the new testament if there was ever a time that it seemed like god has left us would be the crucifixion where like god the father has has left his son he's you know he's he's left him there deserted to die on a cross yeah, definitely. So you use the God candle and you light the... That's funny. Any other questions, comments about this before we move on? Because it gets cool at the end. There is ghosts in the Bible, right? Are there ghosts in the Bible? I, I see ghosts. I, well, I just had this conversation with somebody this, this morning, actually. Our understanding of the paranormal and ghosts, no. The essence and spirits of those long past, yes. Biblically. Yeah, I'm not. Moses and Elijah, transfiguration, perfect example. Just saying it's, let it be Holy Ghost or Spirit. It's not, again, it's something we're aware of. Right. That, that there's something. Yes. That's not there, that is there, or however you want to look at it. Yeah. Which, it's funny that Marilyn brought up the Holy Ghost part, because in, in the history of when they were translating that, Spirit is uh the the word that they're shooting for which is greek the word pneuma which is air right like it's pneumatic it's sort of it's the only one i can get just remember right off the top of my head sometimes sometimes like the redemption one i remember but um the uh they were having a hard time translating how do you explain air and and uh and and, and there's like notes about how do they how do they do this and so when they were translating it into the King James Version, they were like, well, we all know ghosts. It's in our culture. It's something, and there's, it, they're, I'm not using their language, but it was the best way to explain that it was physically there, but not visible. And so I, I loved how you brought that up this morning, because it is it has shaped uh, Christianity for, I'm trying to remember, 14. 14 since 1400s just just since that time frame we've continued to use that and it's funny that you brought you asked that question because ghost and spirit uh then end up being interchangeably used for the next uh, how many is 600 years later uh all to describe the word pneuma in greek how does how does that cross over which is beautiful right so um yeah, I love that. Any more? Okay, here we go. 
So after he says all these things, I desire that you insist on these things so that those who have come to believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Do these things, uh, these things are excellent and profitable to everyone, but avoid stupid controversies. <laughs> no, this is, I'm sorry. Uh, and genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. After a first and second admonition, have nothing more to do with anyone who causes divisions. Since you know that such a person is perverted and full being self-condemned. Um so this this is this has caused a lot of problems in the church in the 20th century. Um Titus is quoted quite a bit in the aspect of correcting people's behaviors in the name of Jesus Christ. Um they use this passage of scripture for proof texting. Um yeah. So I I, I want to just say a word about this. In the first century, one of the things that was happening, well, one of many things that was happening is you had people that were trying to break out, break apart these little groups of people believing in Jesus because it was false doctrine or it was uh, her her heretical. And so they would come into the room and you, you, you could already just tell by the language that Paul's talking about, they were most likely Jewish, right? So they, they came into the room and they said, no, no, you can't do any of this. You have to be of the lineage of Abrahamic descent, you know, or you can't do any of this stuff unless you follow the dietary law. And so they would cause dissensions. I mean, here's your proof. That's, that's the proof text, right? Paul is telling you, here's what's going on in that first century church. And so... What also evidently is happening is, is that Titus has said to these people once and twice they're supposed to leave. Now, here's the part you don't know. In the Hebrew Bible, in the Torah, if you say it twice, it's done. Period. If I wanted to say to, uh, if I wanted to divorce my wife, all I had to do was stand out in the court and say it out loud twice. Carmen is no longer my wife. Carmen is no longer my choice. It is. But all I have to do is say twice. And then is that's to get the attention. But once I've said it twice, it's done. So if I'm admonishing someone, all I have to do is say it twice. Now, and notice he says right after that, the third time this has been now that they're just they're just done. He doesn't say a third time because the third time has evidently become worthless. So, because it never worked. So, it in the Torah, you you say these things twice. The third time is to solidify it. I've admonished this person twice. We're not doing a third time. Does that make sense? So, the audience here, he's saying, the Jewish person that's hearing this is going to recognize they've only got one more shot <laughs> before they're kicked out of the room, and we want everybody to be welcome. You should.
Yes. Yes. And totally ties with what we just got done reading. So if that person is within that community of faith, that's a dissension. That's that's causing issues and that type of zealotry would be something that would have been common practice at that time um and so paul is he's basically giving permission to titus to, to say you know you, you admonish them twice because that person's going to know that third time they they they're not allowed to be back um which would be interesting uh but notice he says, after a first and second admonition, having have nothing more to do with anyone who causes divisions. This is the problem that has been preached in the 20th century for a lot of things. So I desire I desire that you insist on these things so that those who have come to believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable to everyone. But what is proof texted is, is but if you don't agree with us, we're we're going to cut you off and let you go the worst example of this which is used quite a bit um since you know that a, such a person is simple and 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 being self-condemned uh is perverted and simple and being self-condemned i've heard this passage of scripture uh used against divorce um even in an abusive relationship so that that you have to stay together because those who have come to believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable to everyone. And, and because you are getting a divorce, you, you therefore are not doing what God has asked you to do. And therefore uh, we've warned you because the, the church at these, these congregations will pull that person aside and they'll say to them, you need to work it out. You need to figure it out. And then the second time they'll do it and they say, Listen, you 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 have to do what is right for things in the name of God and blah 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 blah. Even if your husband or wife is beating you to you know to death, uh, you you have to stay together. Why? Because it's it's biblically that way. And then of course you know Josh's understanding of that. And then um, and then so uh, and then the third time, they literally uh, it's not excommunicate, but they they turn. Jehovah's Witnesses, they call it disfellowship. Disfellowship. I like I like that term. I don't like the term, but I, I don't disfellowship. And that's a big deal. But you'll see this in in Christian traditions, and they've used this passage. We get to admonish you a couple times. How do we know? Well, because Titus gives us the rule. Right. Says and after after that says after that have nothing to do with that. I mean, yeah. To me, that's almost instead of using it as an argument not to divorce, use the argument to 
I'm, person is, I'm with you. You know, it's sinful and all the other things that are thrown in there. And just, it's not being manifested about marriage anyway. But no, that's my point. They're, yeah, they're just. I we, we've discussed it several times. You know, if people can, I'm just going to use the word seduction. Mm-hmm. If you're around, if I'm around people who really, really like trains, I may lose myself in these people who like trains. Go off down the wrong track. Shoot that analogy. So I need to separate myself. That's the wrong track. Right. That's a perfect example. I worked with a guy who was trying to quit smoking. And he'd go, month, next day, I'd see him if he smoked wine. He went to a bar. Twice in a bar. I mean, he was. Instantly immersed in it, and this and that I think is I think both of those analogies are 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 more what Paul is talking about, but in the twentieth century, no, not but, and the twentieth century theology is is this this became ammunition for certain faith traditions to use against people to hold power, which is a completely. Uh, weird and unique considering that titus is saying don't do that throughout the entire book you don't have power over another human being this is what almost the entire letter of titus is about is you don't get to do that um a community of faith should not do that however you you want to be aware of those that are causing dissensions and stuff i i i say this to you all very often and, and sometimes it doesn't necessarily sink in it's all fun and games until you you're in a congregation that you have that one person um that literally lives to cause conflict in the church um and for whatever reason the church because they want to avoid the quarrels and things that nature allow that person to dictate the whole life of the church um I'll, I'll give you a, a, an example with my father. When I was growing up, we were in a church in McAllister, and there was this lady that did not like children in any way, shape, or form. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a really fun experience. Um, and Gunner could not stand this lady, but when he came to church, his uh, wife, June, would thump him upside his head and say, you will behave when she's in the, in the, in the church. Yeah. You will be self-controlled when we're at church until uh, she decided to, to make comments about my brothers and I, Um, and we were really, actually, we weren't really misbehaving. I mean, like in all seriousness, we, I, I joke about how much we would misbehave, but we towed a tight line. Like there was there, Churches really struggle with preachers, kids, and, and children in general. So so this lady uh, decided she'd go to the elders, and she would complain about how children shouldn't be in the sanctuary during worship. The elders like, no, children should be in 
worship. If, if nowhere else, they need to be here. And there's only three of them. So let's keep them in church. That'd be, that'd probably be good. Well, then those kids need to be dressed a certain way. And the elders said, well, no, no, we've got those three kids and we kind of pay for their clothes. So let's, let's just be happy that they're here, you know, and, and clothed. And they, and they, and they, they came clean and they came with their hair done. And my mom was very paranoid about this stuff. So then she just kind of kept going. So the elders said, you know, we're just going to have to agree to disagree on this. And if, if you have issues, uh, you can always come back to us and talk to us again, but we're going to consider this conversation over. Second time, we had a new family coming into the church <clears throat> that um, their kids uh, were terrified of being in the building. They didn't leave mom's side the entire time, and she did it again. And she went to the elders, and this time it didn't. the elders said, look, we're starting to see a trend here. We appreciate you. We understand that you've been in this congregation for a bajillion years, but this is this is your personal issue. We need you to understand that this is over. That wasn't enough for her. So she went to the board. So the board then said, um, we don't handle those things. You need to go to the elders. We take care of the business of the church. The elders take care of the life of the church. And so in that, in that conversation, um, my dad had to get involved and had to ask her to not do it. Not once, not twice, but three times. Did she leave the church? No. Who ended up leaving? My dad. That this this is this is this is what Paul is talking about. If if you can't it's not about correcting someone's behavior, but if someone can continue to dis cause dissension amongst the church that much so uh what do you do well this is the admonishment not no you you guys are having a hard time i'm sorry that your husband is abusing you or your wife is abusing you but we 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 should <laughs> yeah Right. I, I turned it out by her. Yeah. That, you know, the church asked them to do. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen some of that literature where this is what you do with them. They're not doing what you want them to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, it's it's a it's a thing that every congregation's had to deal with. Unfortunately, that's what I did with Virginia for the last three years. I was there, working with churches, figuring out how to deal with these types of people. You know, church on a search committee, you know, you look at some Christian churches, you pastor, and you interview the guy from Arkansas and ask him questions like, why 
So I keep thinking of how many times, you know, Jesus Peter asked Jesus how many times you forgive. Well, I mean, I'm struggling back and forth because, again, I understand getting back to the alcoholics or, you know, you need to distance yourself from these people. Or maybe you don't tell them to leave. It's just no longer a conversation. It's grace that you give, but not engage. Because yeah. I know a couple of people that's on this phone, but you just, they sent me. starving dog. I mean, they're going to jump on whatever. I mean, you just know if you want to throw something out there, they're going to be immediately opinionated and have, want to have a discussion. And I'm not saying that's bad. I think there's just people that right. <laughs> I mean, so you just need to give them something to talk about. They're all And I think the part that and Paul would say that's okay. It's when the conversation then becomes uh, conflictive, uh, uh, conflicting on purpose. Like if you're just doing this to stir the pot, that's a problem. And there, and and again, <clears throat> we we've been fortunate. You know, in the last seven years, we haven't stirred the pot enough in order to cause that kind of issue, but. You all have your own stories of churches that have had these experiences. It's not a new thing, you know, but the interesting thing for me academically is just when you look at Titus, it's been like that since the beginning. Organized church, organized religion struggles with uh, who's right, who's wrong, and all the time. And the, the conversation that Paul's giving to Titus is, um, do... Do the things to devote yourself to good works. These things are excellent and profitable to everyone. That phrase is the one that should be preached, not the other part. And back to where you started with this, I think all the things that we argue about <clears throat> the traditions, yeah, recognize that there, there is some theology involved in it, but we it's becoming embedded as opposed to just this is the way I think this is coming to you. You, you act that way. That's right. And and I think you know after two millennia we we're at a point now that we're you're seeing changes in uh traditions and religions that uh are inevitable. Like I mean it, it's just it's just the way it rolls. I just want somebody want to take communion at church one time. You know, like, well, it's okay. You know, yeah, you don't have to. You, know, you, can take the, you, know, <clears throat> you can take communion here. We're not, you know, since you weren't baptized here, doesn't mean you can't have communion here. Yep. And you may flip it around, but 
in my church. You're more than welcome to. Yeah, you're more than welcome to. Well, we only have three more verses, and it's yeah, just the no, no. You're fine. I, I, it, it, you just made truly made the point, Robert. There's this this last thing here that I want to just. It's the closing of this the prayer. When I send Ar, Ar, Artemis to you, or uh, Chi uh, with that 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 name, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Make every effort to send Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing and let people learn to devote themselves to good works in order to meet urgent needs so that they may not be unproductive. All who are with me send my greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of you. The end. That ends the reading of the book of Titus. So I, I just, uh, I, I always think it's funny because at the end, it's probably the one that's uh, the most like a, the ending of a letter. Oh, by the way, guys, I've sent all this stuff to you. Don't forget, dot, 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 dot. This is your postscript, right? And then, uh, but it's backwards. Um, I almost forgot. Make sure you send these guys out and, and uh, come meet me in Nicopolis. I'm going to spend the winter there, you know. So that part, by the way, just on an academic perspective, that's partly why people believe that this is after he was in prison. Um, because you don't get to choose where you spend your winter. <laughs> um, and so uh, there's some there's some awesome stuff that takes place in here, what we just got done reading. Uh, I think we'll start next week with uh, uh, Philemon. Uh, it's, a, it's a real short, short book. Uh, we could probably finish, well, we will finish it in one day. So... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording.